It's all the treasures of the world in that one place. And of course, it excites people to think, oh, if I could just possess all that treasure. But people never stop to think for a moment that if you did find something like that, you've only got it for the life, your lifespan. And then you've lost it again. You go away with nothing. You came with nothing, you leave with nothing. It's a temporary thing. But God wants you to find his treasure. And the difference between that and God's treasure is you keep it for all of eternity. Now, God's got a treasure, and it's just like following a treasure map. We have to follow the map, we have to follow the keys, and they will all lead us to God's treasure. And when you've got that, you can never lose it. So I'm going to look today at the first scripture, which you've got up there. The wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times and the strength of your salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. That's the clue. The fear of the Lord, if there's one thing in your Christian life which you need to get a hold of and run with, is the fear of God. There are more blessings in Scripture attached to fear of the Lord than any other promises of God in the Bible. And you should go through your Bible. Start with Proverbs, start with uh, Psalms. See how many times you can pick up fear of the Lord. Look at the blessings that come with it. And God refers to it as his treasure. Let's see how we... See, having treasure is not a lot of good to us unless we can actually get a hold of it. And I like this story in Luke 7, where Jesus is talking to a woman in the city who's... uh, He's telling the story about this woman, how she goes to the Pharisee's house, and she walks into that house... And let's face it, what's, what's she facing there? It's a society that excludes women. They're not invited into the home, certainly not to a meal. Yet this woman goes straight into that house, and she's facing fear. She's facing the doubts crowding at her. She's facing the shame of what she's doing. She's facing the contempt of the Pharisees. And she looks at all of that and goes rocked right through the middle of them all and ignores them all. And she kneels down at Jesus' feet. How did that woman get to that point? And that's what I was wondering about it, because I thought, she's got this alabaster jar of ointment. That's like their bank account. It's very valuable. But she didn't just walk along the road and then suddenly decide, I'm going in there with my ointment. I think what's happened with that woman, she's seen Jesus previously. Jesus has come up to, to preach, and she's been there listening. And she's hearing the word of truth for the first time in her life. And she's a prostitute. She's spent her whole life in sin, corruption, rebellion against God. And yet, here's this man, and he's revealing to her truth, purity of God. And she can see it before her eyes. What happens to that woman? The fear comes upon her, and the Lord puts her soul into bondage. And holds that soul in bondage and says, there's your life. There's your sin. You've got a choice. Are you going to continue with it? Are you going down that road and it leads to eternal darkness? Or you can turn to the light and you can do an about turn and follow God. Because Jesus is the way. 
That was the decision she had to make. And I know she made it, because she turned right around, and God gave her a, a heart and a spirit to be able to hear what the Spirit's saying to her. And I think the Spirit said, get anointment and go and see Jesus. But it wasn't easy for her. God doesn't make it easy. She had to face all those fears and doubts walking into that room. And when she walked in there, she went straight to Jesus, knelt at his feet, washed his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair. And then she anointed his feet and his head. Why did she anoint his feet and head? I don't think she understood what she was doing. But God sent that woman to anoint Jesus for burial. Because he was going to die for her sins. That woman's fear of God. How do you get that sort of thing? It's... uh, David said to one of the Amalekites that came to him with uh, Saul's crown, weren't you afraid to stretch forth your hand and destroy the Lord's anointing? He wasn't. What was missing was what this woman with the ointment had. Three things operating in her life. Awe, reverence, and obedience. That's fear of God. You have to have all three. What does it mean to have reverence? It's to stand back from God. You don't get familiar with him and go and sit beside him and say, Hi, God, how are you going? You stand back from him. He's, he's a mighty creator of this entire world. I'll give you an example. Uh, Uzzah had the ark in his house. And he, he played with it as a child, probably climbed on it. He was familiar with the ark. And then David decided, I'm going to move the ark to Jerusalem. So they put it on a cart, and he goes alongside the cart. It hits a rock, and it starts to tip the tabernacle off the, off the uh, cart. He did the natural thing. He just put his hand up and steadied it. He was immediately struck dead. Why? Unbeknown to him, the glory of God had presenced itself in that tabernacle. When God is there in his glory, judgment is instant on any sins. That's why he doesn't bring his glory into the church. We'd have a church full of dead bodies. You've got Ananias and Sapphira made that mistake in the New Testament. The glory was in the church. And they both lied to Peter, dead on the spot. Do you think maybe they had some reverence and awe of God after those incidents? David had to go back and look at how it's to be done properly. Because unless you do things properly, God's way... It's just not going to work. How do you do it in practical terms? In practical terms, you've got to start developing the fear of God slowly. So you do it in small things. Say, for example, you go to the traffic lights, and the lights up there saying, don't, don't cross. And you're looking up the road, and there's no cars. And then you look again carefully, make sure there's no police around, and then you nip over, and you're over in a few seconds. But if you've got God in your heart, and you want to listen to him, 
you'll put a little thought in your mind as you go over that road and say, well, didn't I tell you to obey the authorities? You didn't obey them, did you? You knew it was wrong, and you went ahead and doing it. So you have to have another go at the next traffic lights and learn to be patient and wait. You know, have you ever seen politicians that are always harping on? You can't trust them. They never tell you the truth. They're all a bunch of crooks that are out there running up bills and charging the, the ratepayers and the, the taxpayers for their, for their joints around the world. You can't trust these guys. They're the hopeless government. And then the thought comes into your mind. Quiet little thought. Haven't I told you to pray for your government that it might be well for you? So we have to constantly be thinking about what God wants done in our life and what's God's will, not our will. Because at the moment, we run our lives the way we want to run our lives. And God says, okay, now I want you to gradually start to let me run it. And God's will has got to start to prevail in your life. As you do that, you'll gain and build fear of God. What I just said to you about the government, what's that doing? Proverbs 18, life and death are in the power of the tongue. We don't realize how much power our tongue has. It's got power to destroy It's got power to build up and give life. Young people, you get on these Facebooks and the internet, and you've seen people get inundated with negative comments and criticism. They get depressed. It's the build-up of all that negativity which goes to support Satan's kingdom and his attacks on you. And it's the same with life. It goes into God's kingdom and supports God in building his life into you. You choose which it's going to be. And you choose it by the words that you're using. And you go and criticize the government, you're going to end up with a bad government. Because the government comes under oppression. You criticize the pastor, the leadership of the church. What happens? They come under oppression. We're actually helping Satan attack our own body. And God wants us to see that our words count. They're worth something. They're important. And we should only be speaking life into people. We should only be encouraging. When you get on Facebook, if you've got a friend and they're not encouraging you and building you up, find another friend. Because those words will destroy what's inside of you constantly, put you under oppression. God had a problem with uh, the nation of Israel in this area. you've got two million plus people and he wants to get them in the promised land and they just say no they had eight spies said no big giants, oh you can't go there impossible, forget it we'll go back in the desert and two said no no we can take it God's with us, let's get in the land two yes positives and eight negatives which did the people listen to? they'd always prepare the negative yeah, yeah, it's a nice, juicy story. Give it to me and tell me all about it. Negative, negative, negative. They turned around and went in fear back into the land. They feared what they hadn't even come in contact with. And yet they feared it. Why? They didn't have the fear of God. Because if a fear of God isn't fear as being frightened, 
A fear of God, remember, is reverence, awe, and obedience to God. So now God's got a problem. What's he do with it? He says, okay, go back into the desert, all of you. Every single person who's 20 years of age and over, you're going to die in the desert. Now, you might think God's a great God of love. Yes, he is. But he's just, did not, he's just <laughs> sent one million plus people to their death. Every single one of them, if you work it out, do the math, it's about 25 to 30,000 people dying every year. What do you think was the motivation with the younger generation? They're the ones that have got to bury all these corpses, and they've got to do it for 40 years of their life. Do you think they might have realized that it was important to go and do what God told them to do? I think so. Because it, you get down to how many's left now, fellas. Oh, there's only about 5,000 left. Hey, we'd better get packed. We're going to head into the promised land soon. And then Joshua says, let's go. He's got a motivated group of people with him. They're not going to argue again anymore. They've seen the severity of God. Scripture says God is a God who's good. But he's also a God who is severe. And there's a proper balance there that you've got to get. Moses and Aaron, they're talking together at, uh, at this big rock, huge rock. You've probably all seen it where, where the water's flowed out of it. And they're murmuring and they're criticizing and they're finding fault with Moses, as they normally did. Now, what happens with Moses? He gets the oppression. It's coming at him all the time from the negative comments and Satan's using that to push, push, push on Moses. And poor old Moses, he gets to the point where he just loses it. And he turns around, and what does he say to them? He smites that rock twice. God had told him just to speak to the rock. But what was worse, he turned to them and he said, oh, where are we? Here now, you rebels, must we fetch water out of the rock? Now, have you ever used that word, bunch of rebels? I have, and I thought about it, I thought, wow. Rebels, bunch of fools, idiots. What he's done is he's put himself in the seat of judgment of God because all rebels are going to hell. And Moses basically was saying to Israel, go to hell. What was God's response to that with Moses? He says, Moses, you're going to be replaced as the leader. I'm going to have Joshua instead. Then he said to Moses, you are not going into the promised land. And then finally he said to him, you go to Mount Pisgah, you're going to die. You see, he got the severity of God when he could have had the love of God and he could have led them into the promised land. But just for that moment, that negative oppression got to Moses. That's why it's very important to support and say positive things about leadership and realize how damaging wrong words, words bring death or words bring life.
We get, we get uh, Joshua. He's now led the people in to the promised land. And Joshua now... Is it my moving around causing that? Right. Uh, Joshua's got them up to this big fortress, Jericho. Now, Jericho, for them, is a big fortress stopping them getting in the promised land. For you and I, the big fortress is also there. It's sin in your life, and it's stopping you getting into the blessings of God and the treasures of God. So he's got a problem, and he says to them, right, we're going to march around, because there's huge walls around this place. You're going to march around six days, and you're going to march around seven times on the seventh. So off they go. And I thought to myself, I wonder what would have happened on the seventh day if he hadn't said anything more to them and they'd been marching around. They've been doing this for seven days now, and you can imagine what they're saying. They're going around this thing again, and think, oh, for goodness sake, what's the point of this? Those walls are eight meters high. And even if we get over that wall, there's another one behind it, which is seven meters high. This is a waste of time. Walls aren't going to fall down, are they? So we're walking round and round and round. It's hot. I'm getting thirsty. I'm fed up with this. I want to go home. Why don't we just quit and go back to camp instead of wasting our time going around this thing in circles? If they'd all said, now let's shout together, what would have happened? Nothing. Because they've fed so much negative death that the fortress of negativity and death stood. They'd been supporting that wall to stand up, not knocking it down. But you see, God knew that. He knew, he knew human nature. He said, you're not to say one word. You're not to open your mouth, shut up, and say nothing. Then he made them go around seven times. Then they shouted in unity, and a great shout, and the walls came down. Why? Because they'd got perfect unity, there was no negativity and no death getting introduced into this, the midst of them. And in perfect unity, they shouted in unison with God's command, and life came out of that. And life will always destroy death, always. And that wall of that citadel fell down then. Timothy 2, 1 to 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. If you suffer from fear, it's not from God, it's from the enemy. Don't accept it. Stand against it. Look to God. Look to the fear of God. Fear of God will always overcome the fear of man. Always. But you've got to develop it in your life. It's gradual. I was thinking of a situation with Cheryl. She's lying in bed one, uh, one day. She brought home these fish, a little plastic bag of fish, about half a litre of water, and there's all these little fish in it. And I said to her, oh, how long will those fish last in that water? And she said, oh, a couple of hours, just enough time for me to get it home and get it in the pond. So we popped the bag in the pond, and I said, you're not letting them out? She said, no, they, they've got to adjust the water temperature, otherwise the fish will just die with it. Temperature's too big a difference. So I thought, okay. So anyway, it got busy as you usually do, and then night time we went to bed. And I'm lying in bed and just thinking about Cheryl, and thought came to me, I don't remember Cheryl putting those fish in the pond. Anyway, I said to her, she's lying beside me in the bed, and she's, 
she's just drifting off to sleep. I said, Cheryl, did you put those fish in the pond? And I was amazed. She's vertical, no, horizontal like that. It was like rockets under her. She just suddenly went <laughs> up in the air. And her feet barely touched the ground. And in about two blinks, she was out the door. And I thought, wow, that must be a no. It was amazing that when you've got a fear, your body can react far, far, far faster than you'd ever believe with, you know, normal fear. And that's, that's why it's hard to conquer fear, because it's not always in your control. So all the more reason why we, should, we need to really develop the fear of God. Okay, so the walls of Jericho, we're going back a little bit to the story of Rahab because it's what people are saying is the key issue here. She's saying to the, to the spies that were sent, I know the Lord has given you the land, but your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants are faint because of you. Now listen to what she mentions. We have heard, what did they hear? All bad news for them. That God opened up the Red Sea and you came and defeated Egypt. And you did it to the two kings of the Amorites. As soon as we heard these things, our heart melted and there was no more courage in any man. That's the power of the negative words. They're constantly listening to them. Those negative words destroyed any courage any ability to withstand Israel. And that will happen to you in your life time and time again if you take on the negative. Shrug it off. Don't accept it. Rahab is quite interesting. She saw the, everything that people of Jericho saw. And she drew the like, right conclusion. She had a fear of God in her life because she knew what was going to happen to them. The fear of God was greater than the fear of man. And she helped Israel, got all her relatives in that room and trusted God to save them. While the whole city were out there fearful, but the amazing thing is none of them did what Rahab did. They all had fear of man, but they had no fear of God. The result was they all perished. And we're going to need the fear of God in the end days because that's where all the blessings of God's treasure are located and all the ability for you to overcome is in that fear of God. Two key issues. Have the fear of God and work at it and develop it, which means you're going to submit your will to God's will, not do things the way you wanted to do them. The other thing is, watch your tongue. Be careful to speak positive things. If you can't be positive about someone, don't say anything at all. Uh, yeah, well, just one last scripture is uh, Ephesians three seventeen and verse 19. See, wh- where we are ultimately going is to the scripture. But what, what does it mean for us? It's got to the stage in the church where our will is perfectly aligned with God's will. And that means we're in divine order. When we're in divine order as a church, God can presence his glory. And when God presences glory, then 
So Isaiah says, Arise, shame, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you. Then we're a light to the world. Then you'll see Ephesians fulfilled. We'll have Christ in our heart, and we'll have all the fullness of God. That's worth going for. Amen.